Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary. It's time for the podcaster who's here for you. I'm leaning in, patrons. You lean into me. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying, like virtually or figuratively uh, by by keeping the show going. And I lean in to tell you a bedtime story at a safe distance. Uh, because yeah, it's time for Sleep With Me podcast. It puts you to sleep. Thanks for supporting it, patrons. Hey, everybody. It's Scoots, and I know this is not an easy time for anybody. This episode was recorded a few months ago, so I just wanted to let you know that and to let you know to check our show notes for resources because the podcast is here to put you to sleep, but there's more resources in our show notes if you're, if you're needing more. Uh, please, please use those links. You're, you're really important to me, so please use them. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with the bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. Uh, what I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever is keeping you awake. Uh, it could be thoughts, you know, things on your mind. I don't know, have I always said on your mind? Because they're kind of in your mind and around your mind. And kind of like dancing around, do you say, or flying around like those, you know, summertime beings that fly around. You see, so they could be, I mean, and that, sometimes when you say flying around your mind, that sounds like they're going fast. Uh, and sometimes they are, but sometimes they're, they're like lackadaisically moving about. You're, you're trying to go to sleep, right? And you're saying, what are you doing flying around up there, thoughts? I'm trying to get to bed. I'm trying to do a podcast intro. So it could be thoughts, past, present, or future, feelings, like emotions coming up, uh, either about thoughts or just in general. Sometimes, I guess, motions bubbling, motions or motion. Well, here's the thing. Hopefully, your bed's not in motion right now. I mean, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're in afterglow city. That's great. Uh, but hopefully you like your, your, uh, but your emotions kind of do bubble up or they appear or they're just there. You say, well, oh boy, I felt you before I noticed you. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's how I feel. Sometimes it could be years later. I said, I've been feeling you for years. Whoa. Huh. Uh, so feelings, uh, physical sensations, uh, could be coming up, uh, and you could be dealing with those. So whatever it is, I'm here to take your mind off of that slowly. Can't do it immediately, but we'll, we'll get there. And what I'm going to do is I got this safe place set aside. I'm sending it to you all the way right to your wherever you are. Signed, sealed, delivered, a safe place. And if, you know, I didn't write, I didn't, I did wrap, I wrapped it up, uh, but in a convenient way that's easy to unwrap, uh, but gives you a sense of, oh boy. You see, this is the first safe place unboxing we've ever done on Sleep With Me. I said, well, I'll probably forget if we, but I'll try to come back to that. And one of the ways I establish this safe place is I send my voice across to the deep dark night. I'm going to use a lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones so creaky dulcet tones they tend to eventually grow on you or you say well i don't i don't mind these the creaky dulcet tones are a bit different like they don't have an immediate soothing quality to them but believe me they'll like if the podcast works for you obviously you say well i I do like to and it's creaky like a door and dulcet like a sweet treat uh, or you know beautiful sound you know, like a Tibetan bell. I don't know if that has a dulcet tone, but to me it does. It's certain ones, I'm sure you say, well, I, you say, Scoots, what did you get? What did you get for your, give yourself a gift today? And I say, well, I bought these refurbed Tibetan bowls. Turns out they're called Tibetan bowls, not bells. I misspoke earlier. Uh, it was actually like a sound pack. It was discounted, refurbed, uh, 
uh, secondhand Tibetan bowl sound effect pack. Royalty free. Um, but it's mostly the ones that uh, are in the frequencies that aren't soothing. They're, they're, they're more, they don't even have any in the creaky uh, frequencies. They're mostly just the kind, uh, you don't like, uh, you say, oh boy. Like, now I know how a dog feels when you blow that invisible whistle or whatever. Oh, anyway, so Creaky Delta Tones, Pointless Meanders, just, that was a miniature one we just went on there. Uh, superfluous, it could have been a superfluous tangent, too. I'm going to go off topic. I'm going to misspeak. Oh, boy, mispronounce. Uh, I haven't met a pronunciation. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, you know, uh, you know, do that, uh. Uh, so, but what I'm really going to do is I'm here to keep you company as you fall asleep. So if you're new, let me give you a couple pieces of information as we unbox what this sleep podcast is. Let me unbox, as we unbox what this uh, sleep podcast is. So the first thing to know as we take it out of this beautiful box, uh, oh boy, is it soothingly packed uh, in this nice, is that lavender I smell? is uh, the idea that this is a podcast you don't really need to listen to. We take it out, you look at it. It's kind of like a snow globe. So if you wanted to visualize what we're taking out of the box, uh, you say this is this snow globe symbolizes the fact you don't need to listen to the podcast because you kind of shake up the snow in a snow globe, right? And sometimes you look at whatever the the place or the character is in the snow within the globe. And you kind of look at the snow, but you don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I mean, some people may, and that's cool. But you maybe only notice the snow is like uh, for a few seconds, and then maybe your attention drifts elsewhere. That's what you do the whole time to this podcast. You kind of look at it like the snow in a snow globe. Yeah, snow in a snow globe. I even have trouble saying that. I'm a little slow on the snow globe, you know what I'm saying? I've been that way my whole life. Uh, so it's a podcast you don't need to listen to. You can kind of barely listen. So that's one thing. Now let's take the second thing out here. Oh, this is interesting because this is, you could say these are slippers. Uh, I don't know because that's what popped in my head. And oh boy, are these cozy slippers. And they say they're sleep slippers, right? Uh and maybe they have the ones you could warm them up first, uh, just like Chris would say, warm it up, Chris. And you'd you'd say the slippers, I'm about to. Uh, and uh, the slippers would say, warming up feet is what we were born to do. But so these slippers, uh, the, the, the thing about the sleep with me is that these slippers symbolize as we unbox them is really, you know, that Sleep With Me is more of a podcast to be here while you fall asleep than to put you to sleep. Like, just like slippers, you don't, not too many people wear slippers in bed. If you do, nothing wrong with it. My only recommendation would be have some bed-only slippers. You know, give yourself a gift with some bed-only slippers if you do wear slippers in bed. Uh, but you, you know, a lot of people, I mean, some people associate, you know, slippers and lounging, but I don't know. I mean, I've been making a sleep podcast for seven years. I, I see a lot of sleep stuff and slipper stuff aligned, but slippers are more part of a bedtime experience than to put you to sleep. Even if they're sleep slippers, I mean, unless they're made by Morpheus, the, the, the great God and goddess of sleep. Who would say, oh, yeah, these ones, you just click them twice. And you and I'd say, well, thanks for putting sleep with me out of business, Morpheus, with your sleep slippers. Flooded the market with those. So this podcast, the reason why those slippers symbolize that is it's really not here to put you to sleep. It's here to be here as you fall asleep, to be a part of your bed down and wind down routine. Bed down routine. Again, that's my favorite, one of my favorite Beastie Boys, like uh, tracks that was never released. Gotta get a bed down. People thought it was made about a bed made of down, which it wasn't. And then people thought it was a metaphor for something else, which it was not. Uh, so that's why it wasn't released. Also, I imagined it in my head. Probably another reason they didn't really release the song. Uh, but so... 
So this is a podcast you don't need to listen to, just like Snow Globe, and it's more a part of your bed. Down, you know, you can listen to it in bed as opposed to the slippers, which I guess this imaginary ones we're having is bed bed slippers. Also called socks. Uh, we just renamed them slippers, bed, bed socks. Uh, so it's a podcast you don't need to listen to. It's more here to keep you company as you fall asleep. So those are two things to note. The other things we got to get out of this box is the structure of the show. Uh, because it is like it really had to get it in this box because it's so uh, the structure of the show is so different. So the first thing you'll notice is the show starts off with a greeting. I guess that would be the card in the box that says, hey, glad you're here. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls are friends beyond the binary. Everyone's welcome, and we're here to try to put you to sleep. So that would be the first thing you would notice. Uh, then at the bottom of the box is like uh, like how you say, whoa, that's like the uh, the thing from the company that sent the box. It has how, you know everything, the inventory and the costs. So the next thing we have to do to keep the podcast free for everybody is the business. So we do the business next. Uh, then after the business... Uh, is, uh, like the intro, which I guess in this case would be like, if we, if this was a box or something, it'd be like a, a sampler pack where you say either you ordered the sampler pack or even better, they included it for free because, uh, but you'd say, huh, this isn't like any other sampler pack, uh, but it, uh, the idea of a sampler pack, I think is to introduce you to a variety of products, right? So you could sample them. So Sleep With Me has an intro that's somewhere around 12 to 20 minutes long. So we greeting, one minute, business, four, five, six minutes. Then from about minute seven to minute 20 is the intro. Those are approximate things. So you'd say like a, with a sampler pack, I think this may be easier to understand, but some people might say, what are these jars so small for? Because, uh, you know, I, I would like more. And they said, well, yeah, you could order. For, but I guess it would be, I guess that's a pretty good thing. So you'd kind of have to look at this. Sleep With Me is the inverse of a sampler pack because it's a gigantic. Maybe that would be it. You'd say, oh, boy, at the bottom of the box, at the top of the box is a sampler pack. you say, okay, that makes sense. At the bottom of the box, the sampler is bulk size samples, uh, and you'd say, well, I'm not even sure. I haven't even tried this product or paid for it. So this is great because it had not happened in bulk. So the reason the Sleep With Me, really, the intros are, are so long is, one, to introduce you to the podcast and give you a general idea of what you're getting. Uh, but two is uh, that uh, the podcast is really part, supposed to be part of your bedtime routine. And for people to become regular listeners, or, or thank you, regular listeners, for being here, they either start the podcast as they're getting ready for bed or as they just get into bed or like a lot of people listen during the day for a break. But the whole idea of the intro is it slowly winds you down. So whether you're getting ready for bed and you're listening and you're doing some bedtime stuff and prep stuff or you're in bed and starting to get comfortable and relax, the podcast is here to kind of do that with you. As you wind down, because I haven't found any in, in, instant way personally or as a sleep podcaster to just, you know, instantly put you to sleep. So if you're still confused, I'll tell you a few ways people listen. Some 2% of people start to show at 20 minutes because uh, they just want to get closer to the story. Then uh, a variety of people like start the show and then they set a sleep timer for 30, 45 or 60 minutes. Maybe that's probably like uh, less than 5% of each of those. I would say I'd have to get look. Uh, and those people either start the intro during their before or after they get in bed and some people fall asleep during the intro and then some people don't start listening until they wake up. So that's another style of listener. Another way people listen is that they start an episode and maybe they set the sleep timer and then the ne for 30 minutes and then the next night they start the same episode at 30 minutes. So there's a lot of different ways to listen to the podcast. You could kind of slowly discover what works for you. 
which again kind of is about the sampler pack idea. It's just we've packed our sampler pack in a way that doesn't make it, you see, I guess it doesn't, it kind of breaks the mold of sampler packs, uh, but it makes sense in this situation. The other th- thing about sampler packs is that uh, you discover not everything is your taste, right? And unfortunately, Sleep With Me just doesn't work for everybody. I'm not everybody's taste or, you know, just uh, some people just want a bedtime story or they're looking for something different. But also, you got to be careful in a sampler pack uh, that you do give everything a try. So I tell everybody, give this show two or three tries because it is an acquired taste. And, I mean, millions of people have acquired a taste for the show. And I only say that because almost every person that has an acquired taste for the show has said, oh, yeah, it took two or three tries before I acquired. It's actually the opposite. I acquired a, I realized I didn't have to taste the podcast, which is great because I really had never had any interest in tasting podcast. Let's put that on a shirt and sell it because that's probably, I never had any interest in tasting a podcast. Uh, sleep with me. I assume it tastes pretty neutral. Not as, you know, not as tasty as other podcasts, but, uh, yeah. So that's, that's, so that's most of the stuff. Now there's two other big things in the box. Uh, so we do the story or we do the intro. Then there's a little more business between the intro or the sampler pack and the big box in there, which is our story that starts around 20 minutes tonight. It'll be our look back at, uh, our episodically modular series, Get Bassos, and a look ahead to our new series. And then again, at the bottom of the box or the end of the show is a thank you so that I say, thanks, hey, thanks for checking this out or thanks for purchasing this product uh, if it was an unboxing. Now, another great, now here's the amazing thing about this. This is the only unboxing you'll ever experience this is that everything disappears. You say, wait a second, I didn't have to deal with the box or the wrapping or wonder if this was recyclable or not. Oh, no, this is a figurative box, uh, so it's gone already. You could use the stuff in there, but you don't got to clean up after me. Just like having a guest over, just like having a guest over that you don't have to pay any attention to me, you know, you don't have to worry about me leaving crumbs behind when I go. You know, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm on demand. So that's pretty much all you need to know. Other than this fact, I make the show because I've been there. I have trouble sleeping and I've had it my whole life. So I know how it feels there in the deep, dark night. That's why I call it the deep, dark night. Uh, because that is uh, figurative and it's real. Uh, but also, that's counterbalanced by the fact that I believe... You know what? I don't believe it. I know it. You deserve a good night's sleep. You deserve a place where you can rest and feel safe and unwind. And it's my job to provide that for you if I can. Like I said, it is an acquired taste. So I'll try uh, to do that. And I hope it can help you because you, you do deserve that. And with you rested, not only will your world be a better place, our world will be. And that's the truth. I mean, it, it really is a fact. Uh, and I'd be honored if I could provide that for you. I really appreciate you coming by and checking the show out because I work really hard. I yearn and I strive. I really want to help you fall asleep. Uh, so thanks again for coming by. And here's a couple of ways we're able to give you this podcast for free. Uh, all right. Hey, everybody. This is Scoots, and this is a kind of a recap and looking forward episode from our episodically modular series, Get Bessos. Uh, the tale of uh, Richard Warren Sears and James Cash Benny's uh, return to Earth. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, and I do these recap episodes one. Uh, because it really helps me in the creative process when I'm transitioning from one series to another to kind of look back and see what worked, what didn't work, what I could learn from. 
And it also helps me give me a few extra days of prep uh, for the new series without having to maybe miss any releases or maybe we take one week off. Uh, so we'll see. I, I don't know. The, the the releases are so far in the future, about uh, two months. And I always talk about process and the workflow for the show and stuff like that. So... Uh, it, you know, some of these recover some of the same stuff, but a lot of new stuff. And maybe we'll, if we have time, we'll talk about some of the ideas for the upcoming series and what it's going to be like or what I'm anticipating and, uh, you know, how I'm going to handle that. So, because uh, those are interesting questions that I'm wondering about myself. So that's a couple of things we're covering and also, I mean, just happens to be that I'm recording this when I started making the season of Get Passos and when I'm finishing, like, things I'm in a much different place as all of us are. And that does, like, uh, well, I try to be as sensitive as I can and talk around stuff and be indirect. It has, like, it really recontextualizes uh, the how and the why I make the show. So I'm sure that I'll come up in some indirect ways because it's definitely, especially when you make a pot. Well, here's a couple of things. So we'll start with this about the production process of the show, just in case you haven't heard this or, you know, it's it's pretty chill. So it might relax you too. So let's see. I'll talk about how Sleep With Me is released and then uh, a little bit about the pre-production and post-production parts of the podcast and the production side. So Sleep With Me comes out twice a week. New full episodes come out on Sunday and Wednesday, both in the Patreon feed and in the free feed. The patrons get their episodes early, and we'll kind of talk, maybe I could talk about that. Like, that's kind of built into our workflow. And I see, when I say workflow, I mean all the stages of making the podcast that uh, end up with a finished product. And since you might be new to this, like uh, some of this might be a surprise to you, to, to produce and administer and put out Sleep With Me, at this point it takes, I think, I'm pretty sure over 100 hours of labor, combined labor a week. That includes all the work I put on the show, uh, the work that the editors and uh, the mystery bard and my brother and then all the administration of the podcast at Night Vale and PRX. It's actually probably much over 100 hours at this point, uh, 40, 80, at least 120, I would guess. Uh, just because as the podcast grows, the needs to support it and administer it, the, the time that goes into that also grows. So so this might be news to you that, yeah, there's a, like, even though there's a free and easy sound to sleep with me, and it is ideally sounds as effortless as possible, uh, the, the, the way we achieve that is by, like, a lot of work, both in production and administration. So, okay, so where, what was my point of leading into this? Oh, so... Oh, so why the release schedule and that? So Sleeping comes out on Sundays and Wednesdays. Once upon a time, it came out on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, but we could never um, generate like the support between Patreon and sponsorships to just make that work uh, uh, from a work like a work and just just didn't work. And maybe two and a half years ago, we cut back into two episodes, and we've been doing two episodes a week since then. And that's worked pretty well. But we still have, from the original part of the podcast, we put out three styles of episodes that we alternate between all three. And there's three very distinct styles of episodes. TV recap episodes, where I recap a TV show. Uh, episodes called Trending Tuesday-style episodes, which are also potpourri. They could be episodes built on randomization, personal essays, personal, like, looks back at nostalgic things, unboxings, uh, cooking, uh, guest-hosted shows by Ray or Bernie or Reginald Kuzak or seminars. 
So just kind of random one-off episodes, though some of them have reoccurring characters. They're always usually individual episodes, at least over the past four years they have been. And then we have our, our episodic series, written series episodes. So in a normal episode cycle, you, you could start with anyone, but one episode, like if, uh, if, uh, if it was a Wednesday and a TV recap episode came out on a Wednesday, uh, then on Sunday would be a Trending Tuesday random-style potpourri episode. Then on the next Wednesday would be a seri- like our episodic series episodes. Then on the Sunday would be a TV recap. Then on the Wednesday would be a random episode. Then on the Sunday would be an episode series, a written series. And there's a few reasons that we do that. And that kind of developed around episode 150, I think, maybe maybe not even till 300. I have to look back. And there's two reasons that, that one is that not everybody, the podcast is uh, a lot of listeners choose what they listen to based on what they what has worked for them in the past or just their general impressions. They say, well, I don't know if I like the sound of that one. Or, and sometimes, you know, you, you, I think everybody should try everything because uh, sometimes people have like uh, expectations about the TV recap episodes but some listeners have been listening long enough. They know what works for them. They know what doesn't. And I've been making the show for whatever, seven, over seven years or something. And I, I constantly have to relearn this lesson, but it constantly is powerful. So you can't please everybody all the time. Like everybody says, you can only do your best. And in the case of a sleep podcast, what that means is having a varied selection for listeners to choose from. That's both the, uh, well, the content that feels fresh and new, but also familiar. But yeah, so that people have their favorites and they say, okay, I can go back to these favorites or, oh, this is very similar to my favorites. And so that's one part of it. But also the other part of it is that a lot of work goes into the show, like I said, in that the what I stumbled on in the first few years of making the show is that each one of these styles of episodes takes a different kind of work to make it and what that results in is having a balanced week for me as far as the types of work I'm doing or actually it's not a week anymore but it's like uh, the production of the show is more balanced in what reservoirs of energy are getting drained so for example the TV recap episodes I watch believe it or not the TV show four or five times and at some point, I'm watching it very, like, in a few-minute bursts and taking tons of notes. Uh, and then I'm preparing my notes, and I'm preparing research, and I'm preparing transcripts and getting the episode ready. So it's kind of like a a, a different part of my brain. It's like I'm focusing on getting as much information as I can, and then I'm making the episode based on all of my notes that I have uh, so that I can make tangents based on those notes or just use the notes uh, to talk to the audience, to talk to you about the episode. So in some sense, I'm writing it, the episode, while I'm watching the the show for like the last or the second to last time and taking a lot of notes and I'll put jokes in there or whatever and descriptions and stuff. And then the episode's kind of being rewritten again as I'm making it. But it just is like, it's a little bit more, uh, it's based on something a little bit more concrete. I'm not starting from zero. So it just, it, it, it's a different muscle that I work. Then the Trending Tuesday or Tuesday episodes, those episodes I'm kind of always preparing for, like uh, constantly collecting ideas or doing you know research or keeping lists of episode ideas or randomizing ideas or trying to form memories or look at old memories and say, huh, would that be interesting for an episode? And so those take, like, the pre-production part or the prep part is a little bit different. And then those episodes are by far, well, they're very difficult to make. Uh, The recording of them takes longer and it's very, very draining because I have to stay in the moment 
and I'm more creating most of that's being created uh, while I'm recording it, though I do can take multiple takes, uh, which you don't necessarily ever hear. But if I don't like how something's going, like I heard how something sounded, I could pause and take a break. Though I do try not to be a perfectionist when I'm recording because that would get in the way of uh, being in the moment. So those are drain, very draining, but the prep, prep part isn't as draining. And then there's the written episodes. And when I say written, I have a two-week writing cycle for episodic series like Get Bessos or Nuns in Space or our next series. And so after I record an episode, the next morning I'll start writing the next episode. And uh, over the next two weeks I'll write the episode, I'll, I'll plot it, I'll break the story, figure out what's going to happen, and then I'll record it. So that kind of leads in. That's a nice transition point to talk about this series, Get Bessos, and I can talk about how I did that process with this series and that'll probably just bring up more natural thoughts about the series in general. So I don't know if this is our first season three. I guess it is. And if or maybe we did three seasons of uh, After the Glass Slipper, but I'm not, I guess maybe we did do three seasons of After the Glass Slipper. And that would make sense because of our original series, After the Glass Slipper was our first series, and Get Bessos was our second series. And so, uh, yeah, I think maybe this is our second series. With And what's interesting is at the beginning of the show, I mean, in the early years, the, the series would be much longer. I mean, one, because we were putting out three episodes a week, so I needed much more material and content. And two, just because like I hadn't yet as much feedback, it, 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 I've see, found that uh, with a series, like twelve episodes is enough for a series, especially with uh, coming out twice a week. It, it covers a pretty long uh, set of months, like maybe a third of a year. Well, actually, yeah, about a third of a year, twelve twenty. Yeah, about a third of a year, and that like that. Uh, um, that gives people a chance to have some still some selection within the year. Uh, oh, and then this, I guess this goes back to the recording stuff. So, like, another thing people might not know, and part of this writing process is I'm doing this uh, well before the episodes come out. So I'll write an episode over two weeks, and then I'll record it. And the writing process can be good or, you know, it can go well or it could go, you know, not easy. Uh, and then the recording process doesn't always necessarily, like, I notice that I do feel a lot of pressure most of the time, no matter how the writing process went before I record, that I want to procrastinate one more day or write for one more day. But I do have deadlines, so I say, no, no, well, let's get it recorded today because, uh, Got to be done today. So then what will happen is after I record it, like, uh, and usually I record the show in segments. So I'll record for actually for this episode as an example, I'm recording the episode on a Friday. And then at some point this weekend on Saturday or Sunday, I'll record the intro and the thank yous for this episode. Normally, I had planned on recording the intro and the thank yous yesterday, but I started recording an intro yesterday and then something about Star Trek came up. And it just made sense to do end up directing that intro to a Star Trek episode because it came up in the intro. Uh, so it kind of being flexible. But so then I record everything, then I upload it uh, for one of the editors to work on. And this is usually with the episodic or the modular episodically modular series. It, we're usually only. I'm usually four, in a perfect world, I'd be six eight, six to eight episodes ahead of the release. Uh, but usually it's really hard with the episodic, because the episodes have to be written and it takes two weeks uh, to get more than four episodes ahead. So like four episodes are done. So while you're listening to episode two, three, four, five, six, I'd be working on episode seven. Yeah, anything less than having four episodes prepared kind of uh, 
doesn't necessarily work well for me because it's very constraining if something unexpected were to happen or I want to take a break. Uh, we usually take two vacations a year, and they're usually at least partial working vacations. But So if I do take a vacation and I don't write during that vacation, you know, it just can fall off. Like in the podcast, like... Uh, like, like it does need, it constantly is like a, it's like a pet. It constantly eats twice a week. I mean, this pet eats twice a week, but I'm actually making the food for the pet uh, from scratch. So it's much easier if you say, okay, I'm making the food this week and then freezing it so you can have it in four to four to eight weeks. And then for the other two style episodes, it vacillates between eight and six episodes ahead and again, one that gives the editors time to edit, then me time to again, uh, get the files, listen to them, make any other changes. Then I do something called mixing, which is like putting everything to get all the parts together and the music and everything that you end up hearing for the patrons and then the, the public feed. Uh, so that's all part of our, the workflow process. Um, so that's like a bit of, a little bit, you know, there's a benefit to that. Well, there's also a big benefit. It's like if I'm ahead on the like, like episodes, then it can also be flexible, particularly with the Tuesday style episodes. Like if I have eight episodes done, then I have the ability to start curating episodes or producing the next episode based on a need. For example, like we have about six, seven, eight episodes done, or we did two weeks ago. And I had feelings about everything that's happening and trying to metaphorically talk about that. And so I said, okay, well, I have these, a couple of these episode ideas that might would fit their ways of indirectly uh, helping people get some rest and, and, and feel like they're heard at the same time. Uh, these episodes about swimsuits. And so... Like I was able to produce those, record those, and then move those. At, well, they're not, I think one's edited and one's in process, and so those will be moved up ahead in the queue, so that they come out in a little more timely fashion. Or if, like sometimes with the random potpourri episodes, I might just be in a place where I'm edited. Like I'm, I have similar ideas, so it's like okay, I'll record both those episodes and then stretch them out. Uh, like maybe Ray. I know I recorded a Ray episode like uh, like like in January or February, and I may have recorded two of them in, in a like a week or two span. I'm not positive about that. That's like in the back of my mind. I'm like, did I record two Ray episodes or just one? So that's just another thing. So the writing process. So the writing, as far as writing an episode of Get Bessos. It's very similar writing uh, everything except for this new series we're doing, which is going to be a little bit different. Um, not too different, but uh, what happens with this series, Get Bessos, is it like, let, let's just say it's a, like, well, normally I record on a Thursday or Friday. So let's say I record on a Friday. So Saturday is day one of writing. And it's actually not two weeks. It would be whatever, a week minus, and ideally I'd record it on a Thursday or Friday like 10 or 12 days later. And you can see how the episodes come out every 10 days. So, so those two days, like at some point, I got to figure out a way to make up those days, you know, because otherwise over the year, it evaporates all our time, which is stuff I play with. And I've done this long enough that I'm able to do that. But so, okay, so usually on the first day, I'll read something in like, uh, for example, not for the last few series, but I'll read something like the, about the Enneagram. That was what I used for Superdoll, I think, or maybe for another series. And then I'll say, okay, well, what character, what part of the Enneagram is this character? And then I'll kind of play around with that and be like, oh, okay, interesting. And then I'll play with some like uh, things and I'll be like, oh, how can we come up with the theme of this episode for this character in the Enneagram, which actually this is useful to talk about because now I say, okay, I could go back to the Enneagram for this new series maybe. And then I say, well, how can I use the Enneagram, which is just a personality thing, like a, a, a like personality t 
tool or a self-help tool. I say, okay, well, how can I use the Enneagram to get to understand this character better? And, like, just go from there uh, on the first day or two. And then it's like, okay, using that, what I learned in the first day or two about the character or about the plot, sometimes it's more about what is the conflict uh, or some sort of need or some sort of uh, obstacle. But whatever it is, and then I try to build the episode based on that. So that day three of the writing, I say, okay. So I learned that people with this, and this place in Enneagram, have trouble with this. Uh, okay, what could happen in the episode? And then it's also like thinking about the overarching uh, things or what ideas have come up. Uh, and then saying, okay, so, okay, then if that's like, kind of like what we're thinking thematically is the conflict, what's the specific conflict? Like if they have a problem with assertiveness, uh, you say, okay, well, so thematically this character is going to struggle with assertiveness. Then it's starting to brainstorm, uh, okay, what is it? Uh, what is the channel? You know, what's coming up? And, and just kind of playing with that uh, until, like, I can come up with, like, a beginning and an end or some sort of obstacle or antagonist or challenge that fits with that, that appeals to me, that makes me excited so I can write about it. And then the rest of the time is kind of spent building plot points, like a beginning, middle, and end, more or less, uh, for them to go through. And I've kind of used different types of story structures, uh, and uh, like, but, but it's mostly just, uh, okay, what happens then? What happens next? What happens next? And like a lot of times it's like trying to come up with ideas, kind of trying to come up with questions, going down uh, one-way streets and saying, okay, this didn't work. We got to backtrack or this idea is not landing. And then wondering why. Now, what's interesting is like I've tried to alternate over the past few years between a, 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 like, a re, like a new season of a, a series we already did and then a new series, and that's basically what we've been alternating with more or less uh, over the past few years, at least I'm aware of. And then on the holidays, I guess it, it is a more of a, sometimes we'll do a repeat, sometimes, I don't, I don't know, I don't even know. Oh, we did the cookie adventure, and last season was the holiday shop. And the season before that was... Uh, as the North Pole turns. So, yeah, maybe this holiday season will do as the North Pole turns. I don't know. This is pretty far out. But that's also how far I plan. So, uh, so let's see. So, that's so where are we? Um, okay, so this one had, like, so this season, I've been trying to come up with an idea. I wanted to do another episode of Get Bassos because I really love the characters. I love their relationship. Uh I mean, inadvertently, I think the last time we had a season of Get Bessos was in the, like, what is it? We're in the, it was in the, not in the, like, in the, like, like in the 2014-15 era. Uh, so, it's just interesting, like, thinking about Richard Warren Sears as a character now. Even when I started the series, like, recording, which would have been in, like, November or December, like thinking about Richard Warren, like it really put Richard Warren Sears in a new context uh, of trying to not make, to trying to add some depth to Richard Warren Sears's character while still maintaining what I love about him uh, so that he doesn't become uh, just uh, j j like, just because, so he could be his own character, even though his character may have similarities to other characters out there in the world. The, Richard Warren Sears was never based on, like, a cur cur current character in our current times. Uh, Richard Warren Sears was based on an amalgamation when I first came up with Richard Warren Sears back in 2014 or 13. But so that actually is helpful because you say, okay, I do have to try to add, he's not a really nuanced character. So trying to work with that was exciting to me as someone that makes stuff to be like, okay, how am I going to still add 
some nuance. So you have some nuance from anybody you'd be similar to. Uh, so that this doesn't feel like this character is supposed to be a statement because Richard Warren Sears is a statement, but it's a, he's a statement about uh, people like uh, Richard Warren Sears, not about anybody else uh, or uh, people that behave in a similar manner. I don't know. Or not trying to be. So it doesn't seem like a ham handed thing because Richard Warren Sears is just so. I don't know. I think you know what I'm saying. So that's one thing that was fun. In working with characters I really already know is really exciting because, uh, like, especially Richard Warren Sears and James Cashpenny. Richard Warren Sears is very brash and uh, confident. And uh, acts first and thinks later, and is not the most considerate person in the world. Uh, they have he has a big ego, and then James Cashpenny, like James Cashpenny's character, has actually evolved in a different way, uh, where like James Cashpenny is a little bit removed from his flaws, or his flaws have evolved over the years. I mean, a lot of that is just due to time constraints and stuff like that and to make him fit like uh, he's still the same person. It's just some of his flaws in the earlier series, like I tried to make him human. I guess he's not human anymore, so that's like kind of part of it. But he's just changed as part of like his evolution of all these journeys. So James Cashpenny is a little bit more down to earth he's very confident too actually more confident but he's competent and confident and he's almost like a, he's like it plays a role of balancing out richard warren sears he loves richard warren sears richard warren sears loves him they both love jiff very much and so writing for them is very enjoyable and then of course because they have this very close uh but they don't really the antagonism it's more like they've worked so long together like other partners they have like a shorthand that i know well so it's not even like an antagonistic relationship anymore it's like this is how we work together so how can we work to even though we know this about ourselves and how we work together so how can we make that work in this episode in this story and then I knew, of course, one of the challenges of making this is they always have to get Bessos. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called Get Bessos. So that was like one of the challenges was coming up with the, what was the season going to be. Now, I knew what the season was going to be about. That's when I was like, okay, like to say it got greenlit was whatever, six months ago or whatever, saying, oh, okay, that's what the season's going to be about thematically. Uh, and I'll talk about that, but like, so then it's like, how do we get Jif involved? And also deciding that, uh, Jif wasn't going to be a, char- a, a character, Jif was going to have an impact and a presence in this season, but not be a character. And that's just mostly something I've learned over time is that Jif, uh, or that the limit, the more we can limit the number of speaking characters, the show just seems to flow better. Though, of course, this next episode, this next series, I don't know, like, that we may be, like, uh, changing the rules. And that's good to change the rules because then we have to learn, I have to learn new skills uh, and stay within the context of the sleep podcast. So thematically, I knew what this season was going to be about. And so, again, this the idea for this season probably came about in sometime in the middle of 2019 at some point. And I actually may have come sooner and then I forgot it, but I was like, uh, or maybe it came later. I don't know. But, uh, it was basically an idea that's come up on this episode, uh, particularly in Tom and impound or in the podcast many times before, like it comes up in, with Tom and impounds in their series that was tucked into all the game of Thrones episodes is like, uh, in a source of like uh, in, interpersonal things that could use help is uh, stuff that goes on on the internet, especially on social platforms. And uh, what does that mean for us as like humanity? And what does that mean that this is like a private business or whatever, a public business or a company that that's like their platform 
And it has these, like a stone in a pond, it has these ripples that impact people and communities in ways. And then also looking at the behavior of people in communities and saying, wow, that can be both interesting and not easy for me in my day-to-day life to see or deal with. Uh, even these small-scale things that in, in some strange way, now when I'm making a show, talking about this in, uh, I don't even know what month or date, April of 2020, it takes on a n- whole new meaning, right, Uh but, like, how can these small things, like, so those are just the things I was curious about thematically. Is like, oh, there's all these things that, uh, like, like, so I'll just talk about them because they were in episodes. Uh, straws. Uh, seeing people's strong feelings about straws here in California. Or parking. Like, uh, I know those were two things. Or people's, like, when... I mean, all the messages I get that aren't necessarily the, the easiest to, to absorb or thinking about that with movies like, uh, or I don't even know what the other ones were right now off the top of my head, but like thinking about those things and saying, okay. And then, then it was trying to fit Jiff in and it was like, okay, well, this makes sense that there's like this, uh, and I mean, this is, this was ham handed, I guess on, in, in, uh, I mean, because the person wasn't really a character in the series, they were also a presence, was Zbiff. Uh, just like Jif, they're fictional characters based on real, uh, they're in, influenced strongly, right? Uh, and the idea of Zbiff being representative of this giant platform uh, that has these impacts on communities and people uh, in the way they use that platform and that maybe there's some pollution in there. I mean, that was the underlying thing this season. It's like, well, this is some static or some pollution, and what is it doing? And then that was kind of the procedural part was like, okay, if this is a specific thing that's happening about straws and how straws are impacting this community and then how the use of a social media and shopping platform is impacting this community... Uh, what can we do to resolve it? And what was interesting about writing it was I didn't know the answer. You know, I like I don't write stuff because I know stuff. I write stuff because there's interest questions and things that interest me. And so I didn't really know the answers to these questions. And I mean, why are humans human? I mean, we don't really know, right? Uh, why do we behave in such wonderfully? Uh, not always wonderfully human ways, like even our own behavior, my own behavior. I say, well, I don't know. Why am I, you know? So it's more like, uh, I mean, sometimes looking at it with wonder and actually being able to look through the eyes of the characters didn't necessarily make it easy for me, but one of the very, very, very unexpected things uh, in that had a nice thematic alignment was that they weren't solving the problems. Uh, they were band-aiding things. Every time for the first m- multiple ones, uh, they were not fixing anything or, or anything underlying. They were merely putting band-aids on stuff or coming up with uh, whatever, something, uh, what do they say? Like they weren't like they were just saying, oh, well, that's what's bugging you. Let's deal with the fact that you're bugged. Uh, by, oh, the pet, the pet, leaving your pet stuff behind, instead of actually saying, well, why do you do that? Like, those questions were just too, too, they weren't solvable by the characters. And so the characters and I, we constantly had the same we're writing where they're saying, well, we keep doing the same thing. Like, uh, and they, we had this conversation, like said, are you, did you put us back in H-E double hockey sticks or not? Because this is starting to feel like this is like on the nose conversations I have with the characters that don't necessarily make it to the podcast. And now I'm taking them off the nose again to tell you at bedtime, but it's saying, is this like some practice where you're putting us in a new H-E double hockey sticks? Like, is any of this real? Is Hearth real? Is Jif real? Is Zbiff real? Or are you, is this just an illusion and we're just supposed to be doing this? Uh, and at first I said, well, maybe to figure, does it matter? Like, would you still help uh, or still try to find Jif? Uh, and they said, well, we would still, I mean, RW wasn't sure, but Richard or James Cashman, he was like, yeah, we'll still try to find Jif. Why not? 
even if we're in H E double hockey sticks, we'll still make the most of it. Uh, and, but it was also like, huh, like, uh, that's interesting to me that you both feel that way. And it, it's really informative about the situation. And uh, maybe I'll just leave it open ended whether that was true or not. I mean, I, well, if you feel like that's true, that's good. But like, I also feel like there was a great reality to the situation and actually makes it more powerful that it was real in reality. And so every episode was like kind of like that, where Rich Sears and James Cashpenny were setting out to kind of fix things. Uh, and they were kind of f- fixing things, but they were also learning the depth. In some sense, it helped uh, story-wise because they were only able to partially help. Uh, uh, they were learning the, the like strange intersection of humanity and social media and shopping platforms in this way uh, that even we as a society are curious about, but it hasn't been publicly, people publicly talk about it, but they don't really get listened to because it's like not that interesting, right? Uh, so really helped me understand all this a little bit better, uh, that they were like, wait a second, well, this, this intersection is more powerful than our ability to help, or does James Cashpenny's case uh do I need to let go of some of my control or need to help and fix things? Uh, and then, I, I don't know, I really enjoyed as the season developed uh, that Richard, like, uh, that they're, again, that Richard Warren Sears was able to uh, change or evolve in a small way. And he's evolved in the other seasons too, but this one is very clear that uh, it really be hard to fix things and move forward to the end of the season uh, without being more open to being wrong and not being right. And the same thing with James Cashpenny. It's like uh, you have to learn to trust. Like even though returns here should never judgment should probably never be trusted. Uh. He thinks it should, and he thinks he's actually evolved to the point where, because he believes he can be wrong and correct himself or apologize or make amends, that James should be able to trust him. And in some sense, James Cashpenny should be able to trust him and accept things. Uh, Well, there's an inherent conflict there that I really love, right? He should be, as a character or a person, be able to let go and have faith and trust his friend. At the same time, his friend as a character and a person is probably, as James Cashpenny is a very more, they're both heroes, but James Cashpenny is a much more like a familiar heroic character. How can a heroic character, uh, like even if someone says they they have changed and they can apologize, uh, there's something not easy. There's not an easy solution there. And in the end, James Cashman, did trust Richard Warren Sears. And he did, of course, admit multiple times that he didn't have to trust Richard Warren Sears within uh, solutions in the season, his judgment. But like for a global, something that could impact us globally or this new world globally, it was a much harder thing to be like, oh, okay, I'll just leave you here alone to fix things. Does show, I don't know, it's just, it's, I don't know, I love that it's unresolved even for me. It's like, was that really a good idea? I understand you've grown as a person, James, and you want to trust that Richard Warren Sears and Zebif can fix everything. Uh, but if you look at the history of Richard Warren Sears, uh, he doesn't have any, he's never fixed anything. Like, uh, every time he's tried to fix something, at least in the series of Get Bessos, it's not gone well for the most part. Or it hasn't gone well for everyone. Uh, but also the fact that I, I really liked it, because I didn't plan this, uh, that Rich Warren Sears would want to do something on his own when characters act of their own volition or tell me, no, 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 I'd rather, like, uh, when things don't feel right and I have to keep probing, 
And says, oh, this is what feels right for you, that you want to do this. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like, I'm like, wow, that's really like uh, brave of you and maybe has shown you've changed. So then there's that. Uh, so that's a little bit about that season. Again, I try to make it and build it in a episodically modular way while there still was some seriality. And we still explored things thematically. I don't think anyone was actually blamed. I mean, that was another th- hard thing that came out of the writing was like, who is Zebif really? Do I reveal that? Do I not? Uh, uh, is Zebif blameless or is Zebif sympathetic or not sympathetic? Uh, do we leave it a mystery? And then in the end, it, like the care, you know, just enough exploratory writing led to the fact it's like, no, you are, you are sympathetic, and it's understanding. Uh, and actually, like I'll just talk about like one of the big influences was like uh, trying to gain a better understanding sometimes of like uh, LeBron James. Uh, this is a strange tangent, but like, so I'm a I, I live in. Uh, like the Bay Area, so I like follow Golden State Warriors. Actually, like in LeBron James's first round with the Cleveland Cavs, I like went to a Cavs game with a Cavs fan, and I saw how much those uh, audience love LeBron. And I don't know. Sometimes I really like try to like uh, think about what LeBron James's life has been like because he was a kid. And I mean, there's other people that have experienced this, but he's like probably one of the biggest global superstars. And like, how is his, like, uh, like he didn't really have, he didn't, like he was so skilled and had so many expectations of him at such a young age and had to mature so fast uh, and take on all these responsibilities and uh, the spotlight and everything. Like, I don't know, like, this is, like, LeBron James as a person, like, it just just makes me so curious, like, what was that like? Uh, Like, I mean, specifically, just because it's, and then, like, thinking about the past year, um, like, uh, and other superstars, like, I I don't know. I don't know, just constantly, I kind of, of, and especially because uh, I root for the Warriors and, and the Cavs and the Warriors, uh, uh, like had such a rivalry when LeBron's on the Cavs that, uh, you know, when, when you're, you're, you're rooting for another team, it kind of makes you curious because you have strong feelings about the team you're rooting against. But then like thinking about this journey LeBron's been on and not that it's unprecedented or anything, but just so much in the spotlight and that he, ne- like, I'm not saying he never had got to be a kid, but he didn't necessarily get to be a young adult, uh, really. He had to go from, like, being a teen to being having all these expectations and responsibilities. And, again, very much like Zebif, I'm not saying – I'm just saying it in a way, like, that it, it really does stir up some empathy and com- curiosity of compassion in me and makes it both uh, – like, it helps put it in a balance, like, so that Zebif had – this, uh, that he did have this, like, a responsibility for, he, in some sense, uh, created this program when he was, like, 17 or whatever that became ZBIF, the social media shopping platform. I mean, very similar to the, you know, to reality. Uh, but it just, that emotional connection to LeBron, in some sense, helped me find the character to be like, okay, you don't have to be entirely sympathetic but there is this emotional sympathetic understanding that yeah this happened like you started this when you were a kid and that you didn't have this transition period in your life and now you have this gigantic social media and shopping sharing platform that has all these responsibilities and expectations to it and your behavior uh, you know, you, you're still maybe maturing. This is more about Zebif and not about anybody else. And, but Richard Warren Sears and James Cashman are saying, well, that still doesn't change the fact. It's Yes, it's a paradoxically difficult situation because you've created this thing. It's not necessarily under your control, but you're still the figurehead and the respons- responsible for it. 
in some sense, and it has these impacts on these communities. So how can you do it different? Like, how can we now start to fix things? Okay, so that was a tangent there. Uh, never thought I'd talk about that because I said, well, it's not really important. But that was really like was an important emotional keystone for me. So thanks, LeBron. Uh, and okay, let's. This, this is the first time I've talked. I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've talked about LeBron James, and I rarely talk about sporting stuff uh, in the podcast. Uh, uh, so to go on to the next series, I'm preparing the next series. It started yesterday, so today was my second day working on it. Uh, because what is it? Friday, Wednesday, I recorded the last uh, written episode of Get Bassos. And this series is going to be influenced by a TV show for the first time. I don't know if it, what you call it when it's like, a, like you say, oh, okay, like when The Simpsons does a like episode that's kind of influenced by a TV show or, or whatever. But uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting, and it'll be taking a TV show uh, and trying to make it more, like and mashing it up with something else. And it should be multi-character. I, I, I'm still trying to, I'm watching the t- first episode of the show. Actually, it's not a TV show, but it's a show or program. And watching the first episode and kind of seeing, oh, how are we going to do this? And again, are we going to be able to make this procedural, even though this is a serialized season-based show? And what characters can I trim down? But this will still be a little bit more of an ensemble piece. Uh, but then it's like, okay, well, are we going to have a narrator? I mean, I know who the main character is already. Like, uh, uh, So then it's like, okay, is she going to narrate everything? Is she going to be the only voice? Or will there be other characters that have voices? How will we do that? How many characters from the show, well, how many characters can we combine on the show? Can we combine down so it makes it a little bit more manageable or just do sequences like we did with them um, as a North Pole turns? And then, yeah, how can we keep it sleepy but also make it procedural? Is that possible? I think so because most everything that's in a show-based, even if it's a series, uh, still has a procedure from episode or sequence within the sequences and the episodes. Or if not a procedure, it's still like uh, each show has its own story, like structure. So we'll see. I'm excited. And that's what I'm going to be working on. I may, this is a little teaser for anybody that's uh, listening along here. I'm not positive about this. So you'll probably know, you'll know now, but I may do a Patreon exclusive uh, series about it. It would probably be at one of the higher tiers in Patreon just because uh, trying to like do everything I can right now uh, so we can maintain our current production schedule uh, uh, with Pat- like, because Patreon is a big part of that. Um, but I may do some sort of mini-series or shorter, still bedtime story episodes, or maybe they won't be bedtime story episodes like is a brainstorm each episode. So I don't know. You'll know. Ask If you if you haven't seen it, ask me about it, and I'll, I'll tell you what happened if it's not out on uh, one of the, probably the 10 and 20 hour tiers of Patreon. And that's not to be exclusive or anything. It's just uh, the reality, keeping the podcast uh, going and free. Or where, you know, the podcast is like, two percent or a little bit less support the show on patreon so it's like when there's like that uh it's like that's what keeps the show in balance so yeah i'm excited though either way the the new series that'll just be like a behind the scenes thing the new series will be out uh like like after you hear this it'll either be out um 10 days after you hear this or it'll be out uh a little bit longer, depending on how my runway is looking. So, yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, good night.